boys screws loose, they done stripped the bolts on them. Should have never sent them to pick up the work for them. Sprayed the park and had my shit inside the car. Marcus Smart Boy was shooting with a 36 on him. Said if he wasn't in a rush, they was all goners. Tech cursive on the jets, he was going to Sean John them. They were sleeping on the guy. Hello and welcome to another edition of Chuddy's Corner. I'm your host, Ben Handler, joined as always, by my co-host, Nick Pereno. Nick, how are we doing? How was your little uh, mini break from basketball? Miserable. Yeah, right? Fiending some Celtics. <laughs> I hear you. I couldn't agree more. Um, so the Celtics are back today. We're recording. It's just afternoon on the East Coast, Thursday, February 24th. It's been over a week since the Celtics played, um, since there was any real NBA basketball. Um, we had, you know, some... Something happened in Cleveland over the weekend that was uh, supposedly basketball, but uh, that's something different. Of course, the all-star game I'm referring to, and then nothing at all the last three days they have dragged by. Uh, before we jump into it, a little housekeeping, of course, follow the show, Chuddy's Corner, get it on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Apple Music, wherever you get your podcast from, look up Chuddy's Corner. You can, of course, also go to nickperino.com. Go to Chuddy's Corner there, where there are daily blogs about mostly the Celtics, but all NBA topics covered there. The podcast is also always posted there. You can watch the video feed of the pod as well. Uh, check those for lots of blogs updated all the time. You can also check us out on Twitter. Nick is at Nick underscore Perino. I'm at king chuddy and there's now a chuddy's corner account as well just started just a couple tweets so uh if you want to talk specifically about the show you can follow us at chuddy's corner now on twitter interact with us there any of the spots give us a follow give us a subscribe give us a like give us a review tell us what you think join the conversation we love our fans the chuddy heads and we feed off the engagement and the interaction so now let's talk some celtics ball the last time we were with you was about two weeks ago, but only four games ago. The Celts at the time were they were catching fire. They had gotten up to 31 and 25. It was the day before the trade deadline. So we talked a lot of deadline stuff. Uh, we talked a little about the Celtics hot streak. So since then, we obviously have had the trade deadline. We had a couple trades go down. The Celtics kept winning. They got that win streak up to nine games with some huge wins against Denver, Atlanta. Absolutely destroyed the 76ers. Came crashing back down to earth a little bit in, um, you know, kind of the, the letdown spot back home against Detroit the last night before the All-Star break. Pistons played a great game, ended the Celtics' hot streak. Um, but, I mean, of course, still won 9 out of 10, still 34 and 26. Sixth in the East, the Celtics are four and a half games out of first, only two games out of third, only half a game up on seventh but they're six games clear of 11. So uh seems like at least safely in the play-in. Let's hope it doesn't come to that. But the point of, I guess, that is to show just that the East, as we've said all year, insanely tight. Um, one good or bad week could swing this for so many teams. Um, you know, to think that with after that start, the team's only four and a half games out of first place is crazy. But then you think there's also five teams still ahead of them in the standing. So a lot can happen, obviously. A lot going on here. Um, before anything, let's break down the trades because that's where we where we left you guys last time. That was the night before the trade deadline. I got to say, I mean, I was pretty wrong. I didn't think that there would be any major fireworks. and I didn't think Josh Richardson was moving. I 
definitely didn't think we were going to tap into any of that Evan Fournier TPE. I thought the roster pretty much was going to stay the same minus some, some tweaks here. I was wrong about that. Um, you know, and good on the Celtics. They went out and made a pretty ambitious and aggressive move that I don't think really anyone saw coming. And that, of course, is the Celtics trading away Josh Richardson, Romeo Langford, first round pick, and a pick swap down the road in 2028 to bring back Derek White. It's kind of a combo guard of the San Antonio Spurs and a guy who, you know, has already shown what he can bring to the table here in Boston in the four games since acquiring him. He's already played 30 minutes a game in those four games. He's finishing games, playing crunch time, playing huge minutes down the stretch in the fourth quarter. Um, I mean, I don't, this seems like almost like a seamless fit for the Celtics. And obviously he's had some familiarity where he came from San Antonio. Derek white was on that team USA with Tatum Brown and smart. So he knows these guys a little bit, but the way he's slotted in on both ends kind of seems like a perfect fit. Um, and again, I really didn't see this trade coming. I know I, I had him on my list of theoretical TPE targets as a possibility, I just didn't think a move like this was out there, was in the cards. So uh, first of all, I guess, Nick, the trade itself, what do you think? Well, I think we've probably been conditioned for a long time, especially, you know, of recent, uh, you know, with Danny Ainge. And, you know, obviously it was Trader Danny for a while, but we haven't really had, you know, fireworks at trade deadline or haven't made any like real significant moves in a while. So I don't know if maybe that's kind of why we were, under the impression nothing was going to happen, but I mean, you know, it made sense too to, to think that way, but you know, maybe it's years of frustration with Brad saying, you know, wanting somebody at the trade deadline or even the off season and um, Danny not giving him what he wants. And then, you know, Brad takes over the reins. He's like, I'm going to give you what he needs to win some games. And obviously he showed that in the off season, he didn't hesitate to make some moves, give up some first round picks did the same thing now, um, you know, and I mean, draft picks are nice, but NBA, anything outside of, you know, top 10, even top, you know, three in most drafts is just a crapshoot. So the fact that he's willing to move on from these draft picks to, you know, give us real NBA talent now is refreshing. Um, so I don't know if that's, you know, that's just how Brad would have been, or if he's just, you know, wants to make these moves because, you know, he never got them in the past, but either way, just the trade in general, it's obviously, I mean, it makes too much sense. Um, when it was all unfolding, everyone was kind of in shock. So I feel like for, you know, the first couple hours, it was like, wow, what's going on. And then once you start to think about it, you know, it made sense. And I mean, a lot of people probably aren't watching a ton of Spurs, but Derek White is a very good player and you know this is he's probably the best you know rotational guy outside of you know the top starting four or five that we've had in a long time I mean we've we haven't really had like b plus you know rotational players in a while I mean it's all been young players or you know cheap guys or whatever that Danny pieced together but you know, Brad went out and got a good player that's going to, you know, he could be in the starting five. He could come off the bench as a six man. I mean, he he gives us some flexibility. He does what we already do well, which was play defense. Uh, 
gives us some more shooting. And I think it's already proven to be, you know, a great trade. And I know we all loved, well, I know me and you love Josh uh, Richardson, you know, for most of the season. I think he proved to be a good player for us and a good fit. It's just, he was probably elevated maybe a little bit too high for who he was as far as where he was in our rotation. Um, you know, if he was maybe our eighth, ninth man, which I don't know, maybe he was probably close to that, but he probably was a little bit, he was elevated a little bit too far beyond what his, you know, capabilities are. And I think, you know, upgrading him to upgrading, you know, Derek white was, has already proven to be, you know, huge for this team. And I mean, um, I think long run, you know, it's a guy that we're going to have this year and the future. And, you know, I don't think anyone really thought we were going to take on any future salary, but, you know, Brad just keeps surprising us. So sad to see Josh go, sad to see Romeo go, but hopefully this will be good for them both. And, um, you know, let's, uh, let's see what happens. Yeah. I'm with you. And I think, like you said, I think the first probably inclination when people saw the trade was like, wow, that seems like maybe a lot to give up for Derek White. But I think when you actually break it down, it's it's not it's not really that much. And I think, like you said, um, Richardson, you know, props to him. He kind of played so well that I think this became doable for the Celtics. He kind of played his way into like being a, a decent trade piece that we were able to use. I mean, I don't know that the Spurs really valued him at all in that trade, but still with his salary, he's, he's a usable player at worst. Um, but I think, you know, people, the way Richardson was playing, people saw this and were like, ah, is this seems like almost kind of like a lateral move, but watching them, it's pretty clear. That's not the case. Um, Derek white. I mean, he just brings another level on the defensive end with his pace, he hasn't even shot the ball well at all. He's having a rough shooting year, and he's he's in a terrible shooting slump even since coming to Boston. He, he can't find his shot. And, I mean, that kind of goes to show how well it's worked that you don't even really hear people talking about the shot because everything else when he plays has been so good. Um, I mean, you saw the record, play, the highest plus-minus in the league over, like, the first two games he came in. It was just it, – it looked like he had been with these guys forever, um, the chemistry he has. And it all kind of boils down to the way he plays – and I think that was the thing. People thought, looked around at the deadline and said, like, what are the Celtics going to do? They're not going to make a move just to make a move. But I think it's pretty clear that's not what happened. I think they target a specific kind of guys. I think they targeted a guy like Derek White. They, I think they recognized that he would be a good fit, and he was a realistic target they could add to this mix and who could be kind of that fifth guy that we've talked about all year. Who's, who could be that fifth guy with our top four down the stretch when we're not closing with the two bigs? And it seems like he, they found the guy, they went out and they got him. And you and I have talked about this, like with Danny Ainge, it seems like it just became such a pissing contest and such a tug of war to win every single detail of every single trade. Whereas with Brad, it's like pick swap in 2028. Fine. Whatever. Like just get the deal done. This is the guy we want. We want him right now. And I think, you know, it sends a good message to the players. Like I said, are those top guys obviously played with him on team USA. They like him and he seems like he fits right in. His pace, I mean, this guy flies up and down the court. He's got that kind of like old school Spursian style where it seems like he gets the ball and in half a second, he's made up his mind. He's, you know, whatever he does, he's doing it quick. He's driving right off the catch. He's slinging the ball around like he's the opposite of a ball stopper. He's kind of filling exactly almost the role that Schroeder was, but playing it like infinitely better for this team, at least. Um, 
he's just so unselfish and such an underrated defender as well. So, I mean, putting out a backcourt now of, of smart and white, like, you know, anyone who knows me knows how long I've been preaching to just build an elite defense and figure out the rest. Apparently Brad and Ime had the same idea because gone are the days of watching, you know, Isaiah Thomas and Kemba Walker struggle around on defense. Now the Celtics absolutely suffocate you with every single guy they put out there. So are you, I mean, do you think the expectations for Derek White is that he'll, he's like our fifth guy now for obviously this year, but you know, he's going to be maybe start, but definitely finish. And I mean, do we think, you know, this is like kind of the starting five that they have in mind going forward? I mean, well, I think anything, I mean, anything can happen. We'll see how the rest of the year plays out. And like I said, I think he's under contract for three more years, which might seem like a burden, but I think it's, again, it's just more flexibility. Now the Celts have options and the way this is working, like, I don't think they necessarily need to go star hunting and find that third star, which has been talked about for years. And now it's like, well, maybe we just have a strong enough team that we don't even need a third true star in that sense where it's like on one night, Rob Williams is going to be the third star on one night. Derek White can be the third star. We've still got Marcus. I mean, Al is still playing great. We'll see how long he's around for, but I think, I think it, that certainly can be the case. I think this could be kind of the team we're looking at long-term is, is close to this core, at least now, like those top five guys with the Jays, Marcus, Rob, and Derek. I don't see why not. Um, but you know what, if that doesn't work out, White is now should be a pretty movable, still pretty young player that can go and help any team and makes like a decent amount of money for salary matching. So I think it's, it's just more flexibility. Um, I mean, the Celtics were never going to sign anyone with cap space, like, you know, a star player to like a max contract because of salary cap room. So having these contracts, I think is, you know, not a, not a bad thing is as much as it may seem now they have, like I said, those top five guys are all locked up for multiple years. So the Celtics are betting on it working so far. It looks like it's working. And I mean, that would, that would be the best case scenario if it does work. And that's just, you know, we've got those guys locked up. Like that's great. <laughs> yeah, and I think this kind of goes to show too, what a lot of people, you know, especially around here have been saying, you know, we need to go get that fifth star. I mean, a third star. Um, we need to go star hunting. It's the only way to do it. And then you kind of see, you know, Derek White come in. It's like, well, if you put good ancillary pieces around, you know, the players that we already have, mm -hmm. that also makes your team better. And right. it's not always just adding superstars. I mean, you can build a team around players you already have. And yeah. I know you kind of seen it work, you know, both ways in the NBA. Everyone sees, you know, the flashy moves where people are, mm -hmm. you know, Braun is going to LA and then he's getting AD <laughs> and then they're bringing in, you know, Russell Westbrook and yeah, it doesn't just, just adding stars doesn't mean you're necessarily going to be, you know, a contender or your team's going to be great. And then, you know, people take it to the extreme with, you know, like Miami when they did that and, Obviously, you know, when the Celtics did that with their big three, and I mean, it, it's not like it doesn't work. It's just, it's not the only way to do it. Well, I, mean, I look, think that the you, NBA you look is... at like Phoenix too. I mean, like, yeah, sure. No. Been, I mean, obviously, Chris Paul's great, but it's like, they no, it's not like they've not been star, star hunting. hunting trade. No, definitely. Right. And that's, I was going to bring up. It seems like there's kind of been a little bit of a shift in the NBA where before it was like, just get the stars and figure the rest out. But now it's like, 
you need seven or eight pretty good guys. And those last few guys, you know, you don't need to go 12 deep, obviously, but you need a legit playoff rotation. You can't just have stars and like, look at how much of a disaster that Lakers team is now. Cause they have nothing behind their stars. The rest of the, I mean, they got nothing there. And a lot of these teams, like it's not working out. We'll see if kind of what Philly and whatever's going on with them in Brooklyn works out. But like you said, it's like the Suns. There's a much more organic growth. And obviously, you know, Chris Paul helped that, but like, same with Milwaukee. I mean, I don't think anyone thought that, you know, Middleton when they drafted him wasn't a superstar. Those guys are homegrown and they got holiday, but I don't think when any, when they got holiday, he's a really good player, but no one thought like, Oh, that's a superstar. It's no, it's, it's kind of the depth that makes it happen and having seven or eight really strong guys. You can put it in the playoffs. That's what worked for, for Phoenix and Milwaukee. Obviously you're driven by those stars, but it takes more than that. You know, there's stars on a lot of teams, and not a lot of teams are are having that much success. So there are different ways to build. And I think that kind of depth, at least not like conventional depth where, you know, every guy is good. But when it comes time for the playoffs, you got to have seven or eight guys at least that you really trust. And if you only have three, no matter how good they are, that's that might not be good enough, as we've seen. Yeah, it's it's refreshing. I mean, I think it is. I think it's good for the league. Definitely. Yeah, I think it's great for the league. And I mean, there's a lot of, you know, markets that aren't necessarily going to, you know, or historically haven't attracted, you know, the superstars and the people who want to like build their brand or whatever. So, mm-hmm. you know, seeing teams being able to, you know, grow these, grow their teams out organically and adding pieces, yeah. you know, uh, you know, pieces to complement the guys they already have. I think that's, you know, I love it. And I think a lot of real NBA fans love it. Um, so, you know, it's nice to see and hopefully, That'll change the tune of a lot of, uh, you know, of the like the surface Celtics fan around here. Where I hope so. Winning helps. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think even even look at a team like Memphis, that like you know an upstart, super fun, surprising young team this year, and you kind of already hear like at least the national media narrative, like all right, well, like when do they cash in some of these young chips for a star? And it's like, well, maybe they don't. Maybe right. they just build a really good team of homegrown players who kind of overperform and gel as a team like yeah it's much more sustainable obviously yeah and i mean for a team like memphis like they're not attracting a star so do they blow Mm -hmm. four or five assets on a superstar hope that they're happy and that that's the missing piece like i don't think there's even any guarantee that makes things better so yeah it just shows there's more than one way to do it and um props to, to brad for what he's done i think it's the right way to go about it and like we said if it doesn't work out they've still got the assets to go and make that star trade. So be it, you know, now they've got better players to trade and better salary. And we'll see about the draft picks. I mean, like you said, Romeo tough to see him go, but let's face it. It was probably time for him to go. He's hasn't played yet. I don't think in San Antonio. So we'll see if he's long for there or what, but just kind of, kind of cleared some other things up. Um, Richardson again, I mean, I'd love to have him on the team, but he's yeah, he wasn't like, truly that fifth guy that we're talking about that white looks like he can be. So I think that upgrade was clear. Um, And then of course the other trade, the Celtics made (laughs) right up at the buzzer, which, so I think once we did acquire white, it felt like, okay, well then there has to be like a shooter trade lined up. Cause I think, you know, having shooter and white would, would have felt a little clunky in the backcourt. So there was a trade at the last minute we dumped Schroeder and his freedom two of my favorite players and poor Bruno Fernando was a casualty. Dumped those guys um, and brought back old friend Daniel Tice. 
Uh, so we lost last year's deadline. He was kind of a, become a bit of a fan favorite, I think. Um, and now he comes back in kind of a, ironically, a lesser role, but making much more money. Mm. Um, but I think most Celtics fans are happy to have him back. Um, as much as I'm happy to have him back, I'm kind of happy to get rid of the other guys. And I think all of, I don't know, it's a tough situation with Schroeder. I mean, freedom was, was out of the lineup and, you know, good riddance to him. We'll never have to see him play defense for the Celtics again, which is great. Schroeder, oh, don't know that. Uh, I guess you probably know thought that. we got rid of him last time. Yeah, you're you're right about that. I guess. I guess. Third, yeah, he'll he'll chance. be on Portland next year, and then in two years he'll be back on exactly. the Celtics. True. Great. Well, whatever. I'll enjoy those two years. But uh, Schroeder, like, I don't think you could just bury him. So he would have still played. I think it could have been awkward and clunky, for sure. Um, but basically, and then the Celtics also, of course, dumped Bobol and Dozier. Um, so the Celtics got rid of seven players on deadline day, and only added two. <laughs> So then they they quickly uh, they gave Hauser a real contract, and now they've they've added a couple ten days. But basically, Cornet too, right? Did he get a real uh, uh, Cornet too? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I knew that. So was he's here course. for the season. Hauser and Cornet. So that got us. I mean, the roster's still. They've got a few roster spots. So they don't have a ton of time to fill them. So that's why they're kind of trying things out with these ten days. But basically, now we've got a much more consolidated lineup where we've you know we've got our same starting lineup marcus the jays alan rob which has gone 17 and 6 this year when they all play and is one of the best rated five-man lineups in the league we've got Derek white who's kind of our sixth starter now i would say is a, is a fair way to put it as he hasn't been starting games but well i mean he started the game when marcus was hurt but he's kind of a super sub sixth man closes the game he's gonna play you know probably more minutes than now so i mean he's gonna play starter minutes and that kind of a role seems like he's going to close games. Um, and then we've got Grant Williams, who's been awesome, obviously, off the bench, has established himself as a very legit part of the rotation. And now Daniel Tice, who's like a true backup center. Um, obviously, you know, familiar with Boston, these guys, and some of the things we do here. So the, the familiarity that both White and Tice, the guys we acquired, had has allowed them to kind of slot right in there hasn't been much of an adjustment period at all so now that's kind of our our steady eight-man rotation and we've got uh Pritchard and Neesmith still so I think you know we kind of turned the Romeo Neesmith role by sending Romeo out into one guy so now all of those minutes will go to Neesmith I've kind of liked what I've seen from him since the deadline as he's gotten some real minutes and looked pretty good at times you know he's still got some things to work on but I think playing real rotation minutes with really good players around him should only help um, worth a try. And I mean, again, at that point, he's, you know, our ninth or 10th man, so we don't need him, but if he could just fill kind of some small wing minutes off the bench, give us some energy. Great Pritchard. This has kind of given him the opportunity to play more off the ball. If he can be out there with a guy like Derek white. So uh, he hasn't really done a great job of running the second unit, but now alongside white, um, Pritchard can kind of guard point guards on defense, but play more off the ball and hopefully get back to being more of like a sniper off the bench. We could really use that. And then, uh, you know, I love my boy, Sam Hauser, who I think if he gets a shot, he's going to light those nets on fire. He can shoot it as well as anyone. That's kind of what we're looking at right now. Um, I think we'll be players in the buyout market, but that market's drying up fast. And I think a lot of these guys we're kind of fantasizing about, I'm not so sure, like, I'm not so sure Gary Harris is getting bought out um, guys like that. So I think, you know, if, if something like that comes together, great, 
But I would say, like, generally, I think this is kind of what we're looking with for the rest of the season. Um, that top kind of eight guys who I think will play every night. And then Neesmith, Pritchard used where it works out. If we, we picked up two two ways, uh, I mean, not two ways, 10 days, Malik Fitz and Jalon. Uh, Something or other. I can't even remember. Jeez, <laughs> that's good. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that kind of shows where those guys are at. They are both kind of theoretical fits in that they're big wings who should be able to play defense. So they'll fit in. They just, either one's really shot the ball. Well, I'm not expecting much um, to, if, you know, if they'll even get a shot or they're kind of just on the roster to fill the spots that we need to fill. So I wouldn't be surprised if that's kind of a revolving door for those last few spots. So again, barring, you know, something surprising, I think this is pretty much the rotation going forward. So like, how do you feel about that compared to what it was before the deadline? Um, with the, the Tice trade, Obviously, I've always been a big Tice guy. Um, wasn't really a fan of letting him go last year, but, you know, it was ultimately a minor move. But um, glad to see him back. I think maybe I kind of set my expectations too high about, like, what we could get for Schroeder. And, I mean, as the season yes. went on, and he kind of proved, like, you know, he is what he is. Then I guess, you know, expectations kind of um, came down a little bit. But still, it was like, I know Tice is good. I just, for some reason, I was like, thought we would get, I thought there was going to be a bigger move that, um, you know, that Schroeder was going to be a piece of, but obviously it came down to the deadline. Um, well, if you, you kind know, of view I mean, it all as one trade, bringing back White and Tice, shipping out Schroeder, yeah, you know, right, I think sure. kind of makes yeah, sense. I mean, if you, if you look at what we, what left and what came back um, overall, yeah, I mean, it's hard to, yeah hard not to like it i mean if you look at if you consider it like schroeder you know for schroeder romeo and richardson for tyson Derek white and then obviously the first right. and whatever i mean i think and romeo wasn't even really playing right so you know i think our team is better you know you know we say we gave up seven players but you know, four of <laughs> no. them didn't like didn't right. play basically no for sure um so it was right it's basically like three rotational well, three, two and a half rotational players for, for two. Yeah. Um, and for I think two it's, that are good. <laughs> yeah. And I think Tice is a good fit for us. Obviously, you know, he knows, I know it's a little different system with EMA, but generally he knows our system, yeah. he knows our organization and he's, you know, technically a stretch big, you know, he's yeah. not the best three point shooter in the world, but he can shoot. Um, for sure. And all of a sudden we have, you know, three bigs that can stretch the floor. Yeah, uh, it, it really we've got a lot of nice combos with now with the bigs. I mean, and I think I think Tice left a bit of a sour taste in some people's mouths just because of the way last season was going. Yeah. Um, but I mean, how so much of that was just him and Tristan Thompson playing together, which yeah, like when him and Rob shared the floor as double bigs, it was actually pretty effective. Um, you know, again, he was basically starting at power forward last year, which just shouldn't happen. Now he's a true like backup center. Like you said, between Al, Rob, Tice, and Grant, those are like, you've got pretty, almost every aspect you would want in a big man through one of those guys or another. So for mm -hmm. it'll be really interesting to just see what they want at certain times and what combos will work together. But it's good to have that kind of uh, versatility and flexibility in the front court, obviously. And it's something we haven't had in a while. Yep. So overall, good trade deadline. Yeah. Nice to see, 
you know, the Celtics make moves to make us better now, not, you know, holding mm-hmm. on to every ass, asset we can. Yeah. Um, so it's, that was refreshing. And I never um, loved the like, wait till summer and then we'll do the fireworks. Like, yeah, you know, it's, it's just annoying. And I think it's frustrating probably even to the current players on the team where it's like, again, this is both. We got a guy who should be exciting. Is Derek White a superstar? Certainly not, but he could be an upgrade for the short term and the long term. Those are the kind of guys you want to bring in. Again, you see a guy you like, go get him. And that's kind exactly. of maybe what Ainge hasn't done the last few years. It seems like he's haggled too hard to try to win every trade. And it's just like, I mean, how much do you do you care about the first round pick, I guess, and the pick swap in 2028? Because right. I, I mean, that was a sticking point. I mean, that was a lot of what I – when I look, you know, on Twitter and stuff and see reaction – I don't think Richardson and Langford for white, I think was, you know, no one had a problem with that. It was like, okay, but we're throwing in a first round pick and a pick swap six years down the road. Does that make you uneasy at all? Or, I mean, where do you stand on that? You think no. that was kind of. Originally, you know, I was one of those people in the camp where it was like, it seemed like a lot. It's like, you know, we get, we give up, you know, first a pick swap, two guys, you know, that we like. Mm-hmm. for this Derek White guy who like you know we know and we know to be a good player but you know when you see four a four for one swap you know you're usually expecting you know people probably expect more but the thing is it was it was a we are getting a good player back I yeah. think people kind of underestimated what he is and, you know like you for said sure. he's not he's not a superstar we're not saying like you know we have a a big five now and we're automatically contenders, but like, it's nice to see Brad go out and be like, you know, add good players. And like you said, the whole wait to the off season for the fireworks, which obviously never happened, but um, <laughs> you know, it's about adding good players. So it's like, yeah, you get whenever you can add that good player, whether it's at the trade deadline before the trade deadline off season, whatever it is, like you want to, yeah add players and make your team better so then when it comes to you know like danny winning every trade it's like winning the trade you know is subjective because i mean if you put it in like a trade machine and spit out maybe it says you know we gave up too much but Mm -hmm. it's whoever you win the trade if you get the guy you want so, I mean, yeah, well, we and obviously, White and we got him. So, I mean, in our yeah. eyes, we probably won the trade. Well, and the Celtics are betting on this working because if it works, then the, you know, the pick we'll give them this year will be in the 20s. And 2028 obviously is a very long time away from now, but ideally, like Tatum and Brown will be in their primes and we'll have a worse picks with standing, like we won't swap it anyway because we'll have a bottom five pick in the draft if this all works out. Like if this blows up in our face and the Celtics have to give up a top five pick to the Spurs, then like a lot of other stuff went wrong between now and then. So it's kind of like you're betting on yourself. And I mean, again, you're going to go to Jason Tatum and Brown and say, ah, we, you know, we, we could have had Derek white, but that 2028 pick swap, man, like, you know, that's not helping Tatum and Brown win games right now. They don't care about that. So that trade never I'm not gets saying done it can, yeah. Because of that swap. Yeah. <laughs> right. No, I mean, I, I, I totally get it. And like I said, it sounds like a lot, but then you think about it and it's like, we want to be contending for a title. We're not going to be worried about, swapping our pick with a team that right now is you know pretty far away from even making the playoffs so 
I think if that's like the final thing to get it done, it's like, okay, fine, do it. We like our team. And it's the same with like, we're, we're hoarding our picks to maybe trade for Brad Beal. Like, forget it. I like this direction a lot better. Um, as I kind of, I've never felt great about that direction. And, uh, you know, I'm feeling, feeling good right now. Like we'll see how the rest of the season plays out, but I am, was extremely pleasantly surprised with the way the trade deadline shook out. Um, I think Derek white, he's been on a bad team for a few years. He's played almost exclusively shooting guard, largely because of the emergence of DeJounte Murray in San Antonio. Um, but white, uh, I mean, yeah, white, white started his career. He played a lot of point guard in college. He played his second year in the NBA when he kind of broke through, he played point guard almost the whole year. And then since then he's played almost all shooting guard. Again, it's a lot how good Murray has become there, but white has, he can play with the ball. He can play without the ball as a secondary handler this year. He's averaging almost six assists a game in San Antonio, uh, a number that would have led the Celtics. So he just fits in perfectly with what we want to do. Moving the ball, playing with pace. He's another ball handler. You can already see kind of the two way game that he has with Tatum where they're driving and kicking. And it seems like he'll, he'll catch a kick out and he's already beaten two guys. He's in the lane. He's kicking it back out. Like, Again, I, I hate to keep ragging on Schroeder, but it's kind of like the antithesis of watching Schroeder crawl up the court with the ball rolling for, and then, you know, walking the slowly dog. dribbling around for 12 seconds to, before we start our offense. And it's just like, what are we doing? So it's been a breath of fresh air. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, I think he's a super underrated defender, which obviously we're looking for more point of attack perimeter defenders. He's not smart, but he's like pretty damn good for a guard. He's big for a guard. He's uh, I think he's over six, four. He's still uh, only 27. So, you know, he can be a part of this young ish core. Um, he's, I think he's leads the league amongst guards and charges drawn or he's second. He's first in guards and blocked shots. So just another fierce defender. And another thing too, which always cracks me up with Celtics fans is like, they see a guy like this come in and people are like, Oh, well, like now it's time to get rid of smart. Like, well, I was like, did people ever think it's, you can have more than like one good player like that. Like (laughs) I would love a whole team of smarts. You know, we having both of them out there together already has been a joy to watch. Um, Our defense was already rolling. I think, you know, this is even raises the ceiling for an even better defense where again, now with that rotation of guys, I just listed, like there's not a bad defender we're putting out there ever. There's no one to attack in a playoff type setting when the game slows down and you're going, you know, every possession is a grind. Like who are you attacking on the Celtics? Who's our worst defender right now? Like it's, uh, it's an impressive group and you know, the numbers have backed it up and so has the eye test. So uh, I'm, I'm excited about the second half and beyond. Yeah. And what made it, you know, even sweeter was part of the reason why people probably didn't think we were going to make a big move was because, you know, we were in the middle of, this nine game winning streak and Mm -hmm. you know it you kind of see maybe teams in that scenario where it's like oh well we're playing great you know we there's no need to shake it up like well you know you you have the front office and the coaches and brad and being like yeah we're playing well but you know we're not gonna we're not gonna you know sit here and think like all right we're ready to make a you know championship run it's like right no we have an opportunity to add a player that does, you know, some things that we can't do, but also, also emphasizes what we're already doing well. So it's like, you know, they weren't afraid to shake up the locker room a little bit, you know, and rough, ruffle any feathers. Right. They went well, out and again, got, I mean, got a guy that did, you know, does what they want to do. 
half a year. He was, yeah. you know, expiring contract. His fit was clunky at best. Um, his stylistically, it didn't mesh. He really couldn't play alongside Marcus. Um, and I mean, who knows, like chemistry wise, how it was in that locker room and how it would have gone if he had stayed on the team. Like, I don't, I didn't feel great about it. Now we have a guy who's again, under contract for three more years. Seems like he's already bought in. Like, you know, the having a better fit can't, can't hurt. He can obviously play alongside smart or kind of run the offense on smarts on the bench. Like he's already completely filled that Schroeder role to the max and is filling like some of the Richardson role as well, because he's a little bigger of a guard. He can play kind of on the wing. So he's kind of given us the best of Richardson and Schroeder. Obviously Richardson was having a really good year shooting the three and that's kind of the one piece that's missing, but I think hopefully, you know, uh, white gets more comfortable in this offense. He should get, you know, some really good looks. And if those start to fall, you know, look out. Yep. And, you know, like you said, it's kind of like you take the best elements of Schroeder and Richardson and kind of roll them into one. And that's kind of what Derek Wright is. And I mean, you know, he's probably, like you said, Josh was having a great shooting year. Um, but it's not like necessarily that it, it's not like it really translated to, you know, wins and losses, I would say. No. I think what it wasn't Derek, shifting the gravity of the defense. So yeah. To speak. And what, you know, what Derek White is offering, I think, offensively is going to, you know, impact the offense more than just. Absolutely. You know, have, having Josh Richardson shoot 40%. No, I think that's definitely true. And I would also say career-wise, you know, Richardson and White are probably pretty pretty comparable shooters. Yeah. Like, it's, I wouldn't say, you know, Richardson's a marksman and White's not. Like, that's been the case maybe this year, but historically they're pretty – both pretty, like, average three-point shooters, which I think the defense probably is respecting each guy similarly. So, again, yeah. I think hopefully we can get White better looks, get him in a rhythm, and we'll see. But even even without the three point shot, it's been extremely effective so far. Yeah. I'll take right. average three point shooting, anyways. I'll, yeah, I mean, I'd, if he could shoot thirty five percent for us, that's fine. Right. We'll see. Better than that, excellent. But uh, yeah, not going to get my hopes up too much. So yeah, again, so I think that as we've said, that's kind of the roster now going forward. Could see some tweaks here and there, but I mean, again, as you know, watching a lot of first half highlights this year and some of the ugly games, you see guys are scoring hoops on Jabari Parker and Ennis Freedom, and it's like, oh my god, I'm so happy those those days are gone. So the team for now is healthy. Again, we lost that last Pistons game. No Rob Williams in that one. No Marcus Smart in that one. Um, you know, hate to see it, but. What, are, what can you do? It's one of those games. That's the NBA. Um, the good news is the Celtics have a clean injury report tonight. Everyone's back. Good to go tonight to start the quote-unquote second half of the season in Brooklyn against the Nets, who are without, uh, you know, pretty much everyone. They'll have Seth Curry and Andre Drummond. That is about it. So a very winnable game to start the Celtics. They have a 20 games to go before the end of the season. They've got one of the easier schedules in the league um, amongst teams are competing with. I think the Bulls and Bucks actually have slightly easier schedules, um, but everyone else has a tougher schedule than us. Philly only by a little Miami and Cleveland have very hard schedules. So, I mean, we've already talked about how even this is and the, and the Celtics come out of the gates with Brooklyn, Detroit, and Indiana Thursday, Saturday, Sunday. So those, 
uh, you know, anything could happen, obviously, and that scheduling wise, that's kind of a tough, tough trip, but those are three very winnable games. So, you know, a hot week, we could be looking at 15 games to play and the Celtics right in the mix, like for a top four seed, which I think at, even at the beginning of the year is all we ever would have asked for and hoped for after the disastrous start. I think it's more than we ever could have imagined. And now it's, it's kind of, it's all right in front of us. It's all there for the taking. Um, there hasn't been much to do these last few weeks. I've listened to a lot of kind of national podcasts and stuff, just catching up. It seems like everyone is talking about the Celtics. Um, everyone's talking about them. And it's all, all, the question now, the narrative has shifted. Everyone out there in the national media is talking about like, can the Celtics win the East? Are the Celtics a title contender? Um, it's a lot. It's overwhelming. I don't want to kind of get too high. But again, you look at those numbers, especially since the calendar turned in January, the Celtics have the best defense in the league, and it's not close. Um, some have shown that the gap between the Celtics and number two is equal to the gap between number two, which is Phoenix, and number 25, the Kings. So that's a crazy stat right there. Um, just shows, again, the Celtics are just absolutely dominating on the defensive end the offense has gotten up to I think it's been 10th in that stretch it's still 15th for the whole season so not great but again it's obviously we're moving in the right direction it's looked a lot better um I'm hoping you know this break maybe gave gave a chance to get some more even familiarity with the new guys get that offense really clicking hopefully we can make some shots um but I mean the defense now is number two on the year the team has the number four net rating in the entire league uh, Nate Silver's 538 projections have the Celtics as the favorites to win the NBA title, giving them a 21% chance to win the title, 34, 34% chance to make the finals. Yes, those numbers are real. That's Nate Silver's 538. So again, obviously, let's pump the brakes. This That's, you know, the crazy end of all of this. But I think the point is, give credit to the Celtics, to Brad Stevens, to Ime Udoka, to really – fans like you and me who have believed all along um i mean the team is here they are and it's kind of closer to what we were expecting if you told me we'd go into the deadline you know four and a half games out of first i'd say that sounds about right like let's go it's been a very weird path to get here the east in general like we've been aided by the fact that it's so flat and that this many teams are involved has made kind of everyone's record lower but hey none of that matters now it's let's go we got 20 games the team is as healthy as honestly, like I can ever remember them being. So, you know, knock on wood that that'll continue. But again, it's kind of, it's all there for the taking. So like, what are you, I guess, buying from all of this? What are you selling? And let's kind of like redefine what are our expectations now for this season? I think we're, you know, what, what I'm looking for, for the remaining part of the season, last 20 games, whatever it is, I just want to see us keep coming out with this defensive, you know, aggressiveness mentality because that does translate to the playoffs. Um, that's something that's, you know, not fluky or streaky. I mean, you know, you can go on stretches where you're playing great defense and then, you know, you can have hiccups here and there. But if you're coming out every game playing intense defense and, you know, playing great on that side of the ball, that's something that, you know, you can repeat, you know, game after game. So that, you know, I can think, I think you can rule out that being, you know, flukish yeah. altogether. And I think playing long stretches of good defense, you know, just automatically is, you know, in theory, less fluky than 
playing, you know, great stretches of offense. Cause I mean, you know, teams can get hot shooting the ball mm-hmm. and, you know, go on these stretches of, you know, whatever, 10 games scoring a ton of points. And then all of a sudden, you know, water finds its level, but you know, when it comes to defense, it's that's effort. And right. that's something that you have to, you know, want is to play a great defense. So, you know, that's why I love, you know, I really love seeing it is on the defensive side of the ball because mm-hmm. you know that's, you know, something that they're putting their mind to. And, you know, it's not just like, oh, it's, you know, it's clicking right now and we'll see if it's sustainable. So, right. Well, um, let me ask you something on that kind of note. Does that at all concern you in the fact that that's something where, you know, like you said, it's a lot effort. So it's something where, you know, I don't want to use the, the cliche of kind of flipping the switch, but you see some of these other teams and you figure they've got another level to go up defensively, like the box, for example. Um, I don't think we've, we're seeing their best defense on a night to night basis. So do you get worried that kind of, you know, and that's been a thing in the past where we see some of these teams, like maybe the jazz in recent years, um, maybe like the Cavs or Grizzlies this year, who you're seeing this great defensive effort every night, but you kind of, you kind of think that once the playoffs start and everyone brings that same level of effort, you know, it's, it's kind of smoke and mirrors. Does, is yeah, that a concern at all? I think that's always something that comes up, especially this time of year when it's, you know, a lot of the good teams kind of float, you know, through defense, through the, uh, through the regular season. And, and most, you know, the, the intensity picks up in the, in the postseason. Mm-hmm. I think that's just, you know, I think that's just something that's unavoidable in the NBA, um, whether it's right or wrong. But um, so, no, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say I'm worried about that. And I mean, the reason being is because, you know, we are one of those teams that's playing great defensively. So it's like, like I said, it's something that translates to the postseason. So like our defense in theory is going to be as good in the postseason as it is now. So that's that's not a concern i mean i guess the concern would be that other teams pick up their defense and then their offense struggles a bit but i mean we're winning games on defense now and i think that's what we're gonna have to do in the playoffs so i mean and we're winning games comfortably for the most part i mean a lot of that philly game we almost beat the 76ers in philly by 50 points with uh you know joel Embiid playing like (laughs) so it's not like you know it's not a case of like all these scrappy guys are going out there and just busting their ass and out out hustling people like that's part of it but that's kind of who these who the celtics are like there's nothing fluky about the way marcus smart is playing or robert williams or you know those two guys should certainly be considered for all the defense teams i mean smart i would say is a lock i would love to see rob make his first appearance but like down to the stars tatum deserves consideration his defense has been you know, almost just as important to this team as the offense, maybe. I mean, we probably need the offense from him more. But, like, you know, everyone talks about Tatum's offense. His defense has been amazing. Um, Horford, hell, he's still a great defender. Great mm-hmm. defender. You saw it on Joel the other night. Um, you know, Jalen might be our weakest link on defense. And he's can lock down the best player on the other team. So, again, it's like none of it is a fluke. None of it is just guys playing out of their minds because they're trying so much harder than everyone else. Um, you know, I think that's kind of like something the team's going to hang their hat on. So, like you said, I don't think that's – I don't think you have to worry about that changing once the playoffs start in terms of, like, the effort department or kind of teams teams having another level that we don't. I think it's all there. I think we probably just need to, you know, clean things up on offense a little more to – to feel better about ourselves against some of these teams. But so again, I mean, 
that's your expectation, I guess, in terms of how you're going to play what, um, you know, again, it's, it's all so close that it's tough to put a number on it, but like, what do you think is realistically where they can finish seating wise? I know they could probably anywhere from one through seven is not completely unrealistic, but what do you think is most, most likely? And do you think it even really matters so much the seating? No, I, I, I mean, I think I, it matters avoiding the play-in for yeah. sure. I would like to, of course, avoid the play-in. And I mean, even if we finished like, we finished, you know, sixth just out of the plan, I'd probably be a little bit disappointed just because of how we're playing. But mm-hmm. it if seems we like finish like about where we are, I think fourth, that's, that's about what we thought we were going into the season. Yeah. Um, you know, we're playing above that right now, but um, you know, if we hang around this, you know, this fourth or so, I think that's, mm-hmm. I think that's good. I mean, we were kind of, we're, you know, in the middle of the pack of the non playing I think that's probably yeah. what we expected. And yeah, I'd be happy with that considering, you know, what we were last year and what we were the first half of this year. Yeah. Um, so I'd be happy us, with that. Give us a and home I mean, playoff series and you got to be thrilled. So, you yeah. know, top four seed, one playoff round at home. Hard to be upset with that. Right. And I think too, like what, you know, as much as Nate Silver thinks we're going to win it all. <laughs> I think what I, all I'm really looking for is, you know, obviously, want to win the first round mm-hmm. um you know things can happen i mean if brooklyn gets healthy and then we had a tough matchup with them round one something like that obviously worst case scenario but sure. assuming that doesn't happen we should be in you know that three four five range we should or if we can get a first round play uh if we can get a first round at home we should win that series no matter who it's against other than maybe brooklyn um <laughs> well, and i'd like to see I would just like to see him go down swinging in the playoffs. Yeah. Like if we get up, if we get up against a team that's better than us, I feel like whenever we lose in the playoffs, it's like with a whimper and we go out with our heads hanging low and it's like, you know, you can lose in the playoffs and, you know, still be satisfied because sure. you're not going to be a contender every year. And I don't yeah. think, you know, I don't think we probably are realistically contender right now but so if we can we can make like a little run and you know show that we've made some progress and that we have something that we're building towards and something to build on next year then that that would be nice i'd be i'd like to see some you know some meaningful playoff games again all right let me here you go i'm gonna list the you know the seven teams i said are all within five games right now so i'm gonna out of the other six teams i want you to rank them in order of like who you would least like to play. So basically your number one ranking is who you think the Celtics would have the longest odds of beating right. and six of being who you'd want to play most. So those teams right now, um, and I'm just going to go in order of the standings as they stand today. So we've got the Miami heat, the Chicago bulls, the Philadelphia 76ers, the Cleveland Cavaliers, the Milwaukee bucks, and the Toronto Raptors. No, and the Brooklyn Nets, obviously, I'm going to throw in too. So that's probably, probably your eight playoff teams. Obviously, I didn't say the Celtics. So those are the other seven teams. And I think it is so open that you can't rule out facing any of them in the first round. Um, Like none of that's off the table. So rank those seven teams from who you would least like to play to who you would most like to play, if you would, for me. So we're assuming that they're all healthy. You know, are we assuming like Brooklyn is... You know, yeah. has 
you know, Simmons and KD and Kyrie? Yes. For the okay. sake of this exercise, we are. Okay. <laughs> so. Because anything could happen injury-wise right. with any team. But let's assume so, everyone is generally healthy. Assuming health. Um, I'd, I'd probably say I fear Brooklyn the most. I would agree. Um, I, I think they're. One. I think they're just the toughest matchup for us. I mean, obviously nobody can guard KD, but, um, you know, they, they can beat you in a few different ways, especially if Simmons works out. Uh, I think that's going to be good for the defense. Um, you know, we've seen KD. He's a good defender when he wants to be. So oh, I mean, KD's a, KD's a great defender. Yeah. When so, he's engaged. Yeah. I think they, they're top end talent is probably better than anyone else in this uh, in this conference anyways. Um, they have some tough matchups for us. And, I mean, I think generally, I don't know what our record is, but I feel they like – They got some know. tough matchups for anyone. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. And I just think, uh, you know, they if they're healthy, they're, they're probably the favorite at least. Yeah. Um, so I put them first. Okay. Um, I feel like the Bucks don't scare me necessarily, but – I still think they would probably be – they're probably the second-best team, I'd yeah. say, fully healthy. I had I mean, Bucks too, as well. They've shown they can do it. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, be honest, can't, you just you can't count them out if they're healthy. Um, after that, it kind of flattens out for me. Um, I mean, I think, I think Miami is a good team. And, I mean, they've proven it, you know, pretty much wire to wire. They've been a good team. But – um, I think we kind of match up all right with them. So, I mean, you're kind of starting to get into that range of, te- of players where it's like, you know, it gets a little bit more more cloudy, I'd say. But I think they're probably the third best team. So I guess in theory, they're the, the team I probably fear the most, um, you know, next on the list. So I guess I'd put Miami mm-hmm. uh, there. Um I'd have to go Philly next, even though, you know, what we just did yeah. to them. But, no, I'm with I you. mean, you know, Harden, if he comes in and, I mean, he seems like, you know, that seems like probably a good fit. A little, good little high and low game with him and uh, him and Embiid. Uh, they have some good players around them, you know, some good defenders. I think, uh, I think they're, you know, I think they're probably going to be, assuming everything works out with Harden, I think they're probably going to be a team that you got to look out for um what's that fourth that was four yeah um, so you got, got cat uh bulls calves and raptors left so i guess bulls just because they're a little bit more experienced um mm-hmm. you know more veterans i mean they haven't really been like you know they haven't been like experienced playoff team necessarily but they have yeah. good players and they have you know Obviously, DeRozan's been unbelievable this year. Um, you know, I'm assuming everyone, Levine, and all of them are healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a lot of weapons. Um, but, again, they don't – I don't fear them for some reason just because, <laughs> I mean, they don't really have anyone super proven as far as, you know, <laughs> That who's, is an understatement, if you yeah, can say, in so terms I mean, of playoffs. <laughs> yeah, in terms yeah. of playoff success, I mean, sure. obviously, DeRozan had a lot of great years and – in Toronto, where so they're making the deep runs, yeah, but not so great in the playoffs. Not so great, and um, so I don't know. I mean, I'm not yeah. worried about them. They have a good good roster, but 
again, they don't fear me. Uh, I don't fear them. Mm-hmm. Cleveland playing great, great story. Probably too young um, for the playoffs. I mean, it's it's a different environment. So yeah, I'd probably put them next. And Toronto, you know, they're just I just don't think they're talented enough. Um, I love Ben Vliet. Siakam's good, maybe a little overrated. Um, I don't know if he's overrated. He's having a hell of a year. I would say maybe a little, he, maybe a little underrated at this point. Well, I mean, he, I think he was overrated for. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think it's the pendulum has swung. But either way, and, really good. And player. then maybe, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe it's swung back the other way where he's about, you know, where he should be. But he's rebounded really nicely this year. Yeah. So solid team, but they don't have enough. So I yeah. guess that would probably <laughs> be the order I put them in. Yeah, so I basically have the same order. I would, I just, I had Toronto sixth and Cleveland seventh. I just think Toronto um, would scare me a little more in a playoff series at this point. But well, they are more experienced, and they've yeah, you know, the guys right. they have have you know won. Right, and they got um, Nick Nurse. Nick Nurse is still a hell of a coach. And Nick Nurse is good. Yeah, so yeah. not that Bickerstaff isn't a good coach, but um, but again, so I, I'm with you but i guess my point is when you actually break it down because i mean you started the conversation by saying like well we're not really contenders but my last question was going to be can the celtics win the east and i think Mm. when you break it down like that i'm with you kind of you know a fully healthy brooklyn if they figure it all out over these next 20 games which well who knows how many games because they're playing tonight against the celtics and none of those guys are playing so whenever brooklyn takes the court like i think there are a lot of variables that they need to figure out but i think it's pretty figure like I think there's a, a pretty decent likelihood they do figure it out um Simmons is a bit of a wild card but he's already been there in practice if they get all these guys on the court like I think there's a chance that like you said yeah they just look way better than everyone else but after that the box like you said I mean I would not go into a series against Milwaukee expecting to win but I'd be certainly be expecting to compete and I think we'd have a chance to win even kind of when the Celtics weren't playing well, they've always looked good against Milwaukee. They've always matched up well. Mm-hmm. Al does a nice job on Giannis. Um, like you said, about most of those teams, like there's no team that scares me. Um, and again, I mean, there's a chance the Celtics see like Cleveland in the first round, you know, which I'm not saying that would be a buy. Cleveland's been awesome, but I would expect to win that series. I would expect to beat the Bulls in a series. I would certainly expect to beat the Raptors. Philly, Again, we'll see how the Embiid Harden thing works out, but I'm not scared of Philly in a playoff series for no. many reasons. So I guess when you break it down, other than playing like a fully operational version of Brooklyn, there's no one team where I'm going into the series like we're screwed. So to me, if the question is, can the Celtics win the East? Yeah, there's definitely a path to the Celtics winning the East. Um, like you said, we match. I think Miami is probably underrated as the true contender right now. I think they're really good, but yeah, I think the Celtics match up pretty well against them. And again, it's just like none of these teams scare me. If the Celtics can keep doing what they're doing on defense, ratchet up the offense, there's not, I don't look at the East and see any series where I'm like, we can't win that series again, maybe Brooklyn, but for Brooklyn and Philly, it's we're asking for a lot to kind of come together in a little amount of time. And maybe by next year, Brooklyn is a juggernaut. But for it to all come together in the next couple of months here, maybe, but, you know, maybe not. And we've seen things like that swing the NBA. And it seems like right now the door is wide open, especially in the East. Um, Celtics are playing, you'd have to say, just about as well as anyone. So, uh, I don't know. Am I crazy? Or I guess how crazy am I? (laughs) No, I mean, I don't think it's crazy. Um, For me, it's like, 
if obviously if Brooklyn's healthy, I'd say I, I'd guarantee. I don't know if I'd, I'd say I guarantee we're not going to the series. Bucks, I'd say we can't beat them in a seven game series if they're healthy. Um, those Why are the not? only two teams. Those are the only two teams where. I'm, I'm Why saying, can't we beat the Bucks in a seven game series though? I just I think the Bucks. They're just too at this point. They've they've done it. They've proven they can do it. Okay, they and did I, I know it we, against I know we, the Nets. Huh? They didn't have Kyrie or Harden, and barely did it because Durant's foot was on the line, and they needed extra time and seven games and all that. Like, yeah, I know they did it, but I don't know. Are we should we really now be looking at the Bucks as like, oh, there's some established champion? I mean, you know, they did, they did, they got their ring, but like, I I don't know. I don't think it's a it's a pushover. Like, I don't necessarily think we couldn't give them a series they've got their issues outside of their big three Middleton's not having a great year Brooke Lopez has been injured all season they really miss him now Conadin's injured DiVincenzo's gone they really haven't replaced PJ Tucker at all um I don't know I just I don't I don't think the, the gap would be that wide between those two teams. I guess it's not that we can't win it's just I I wouldn't expect us to win that series yeah and the thing, we, we wouldn't the be thing is with with the rest of the teams I think we'd either be expected to win or I'd say it would be, you know, 50, 50 or better. Um, so, I mean, that's, I think that's pretty much what it comes down to. Uh, I don't know if we'd be 50, 50 or better against Miami or Philly. I mean, maybe in my heart, we yeah, would. in my heart, but if you're going think... by like Vegas odds, no, I, mean, I don't think, the odds I think those two would probably be favored in a series, but yeah, yeah, I think it would be pretty, pretty close to even, I would think. Yeah. And I would think, I mean, think about Philly too, that, you know, people aren't really like, I feel like a lot of people are overlooking is like, you know, they've been a pretty good team this year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're whatever, 35 and 23. So it's like, they have a solid record. They've been playing well most of the year and they basically just swapped Seth Perry for James Harden because you figured Simmons hasn't been playing. Right. So, I mean, it's basically a team that they in theory, just added, like I said, Seth Curry for James Harden. So it's like, that's yeah. <laughs> an upgrade no matter how you look at it. So a team yeah. that's played well. Oh, it's hard to argue. Part, I think the added James Harden. The counter to that would be, you know, you're not going to, integrating Harden, you're not going to have this MVP level Joel Embiid on offense. Like there's only one ball to go around. Both of those guys like to have the ball a lot. Yeah. Uh, what Curry did is kind of like the way he played off the ball and was such a movement shooter, his chemistry he established was Joel was unbelievable and Curry had become one of the best marksmen in the NBA obviously he's not as good a player as James Harden but I think there's a chance that you know the fit is not perfect between these two and now they don't really have a ton around them Tyrese Maxey's been great but now he's you know now he has a front row seat to the Harden show in the backcourt instead of being like their ball handler and point guard how does that affect him do we know like how he's going to look in that off ball role he's probably not gonna look as good as curry did like i don't know i think they have a lot to figure out as well and um you know harden and doc rivers uh don't exactly have the best playoff uh, resumes <laughs> you could throw up so i'm not sure that's like instilling a lot of fear in anyone for me i give the nets much more hypothetical benefit of the doubt i guess um where with philly i mean i know those guys are going to be great but like i gotta see it before i think that team as currently constructed is going to win a title certainly yeah, i think i think Embiid and harden are kind of at that point where they're like they just want they want to win they want things to work out where mm-hmm. maybe in years past you know 
Harden might want to do it his way a little bit more. I mean, I feel like Embiid's always been a guy that wants to win, and um, you know, he's been willing to do what's best for the team in general. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's you know, you can you can say other things you want about Embiid, but I think in general he's been a guy that just wants to win. Yeah. Um, so I think that's that's part of the reason why I'm more optimistic. I mean, I guess not optimistic from a Celtics perspective, but <laughs> that's why I have a little bit more, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like it, it might work out there because, you know, if you have superstars that just want to win and are willing to buy into whatever, then usually you're going to win games. Usually more often than not, it's probably going to work out. Um, so that's kind of what I'm thinking is, you know, that's why yes. I think, you know, that's, and again, like this whole hypothetical scenario we're talking about is, everyone's healthy and yeah. you know things are working out i guess D- yeah no for sure and i mean i think things can be working out but at the same time if we go into a series against them like i love the guys we have to throw at Harden. Um, exactly. you know i think horford with some rob can can slow Embiid <laughs> at least like yeah. i don't know i guess maybe i'm just conditioned to years of us beating down philly but for whatever reason i, I don't know I, I wouldn't fear it could they knock us out absolutely but it would be a I good wouldn't series. be like yeah okay. I wouldn't be upset or scared to see them in even the first round of the playoffs I'd say bring it on that would be a lot of fun and uh I'd like our chances I really would yeah I mean I guess I guess Brooklyn a healthy Brooklyn is the only team I'd say that would terrify me and I know I said I don't think we could be <laughs> we could be the box but they don't terrify me yeah I think I think that's if, a good way to look at it yeah. so I guess that's kind of summarizes what my thoughts so can the Celtics win the East this year? Yes or no? Well, we can put it that way. <laughs> After that conversation. Uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I, I mean, guess. That's a, Listen to that. Best, <laughs> this is best case scenario. Everything yeah. goes our way. Mm-hmm. You know, we get the right path. I guess, yeah, why not? I mean, the, <laughs> the East is pretty – you know, it's pretty level all the way through. So, I mean, somehow we can avoid Brooklyn until the, uh, you know, until the East finals or somebody knocks them off before we get there. Then, yeah, then I guess. Why not? I, I mean, like, we could play Cleveland in the first round in a 4-5. We could play Chicago in the second round. They could be a one seed. Yeah. I'm not saying that's a cakewalk to the East finals, but it's a, it's a pretty appealing path. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, there's, we're assuming health, there's never health. So, you know, it could not, again, fingers crossed that nothing happens to the Celtics, but at least one of those teams I just rattled off, you can pretty much count on something's going to happen between now and then something will be, you know, this playoff picture will be affected, unfortunately, almost certainly by some injury or something going on Mm -hmm. here and there. So we're all again, kind of assuming these teams are at their best. That's, very far from a sure thing in fact i'd say it's almost a certainty that these teams won't be fully functional so a lot can happen uh things are wide open i mean it's again it's there for the taking which is just it's really exciting it's all kind of we wanted as those brutal stretch of the season we we were just begging for competitive basketball for for a puncher's chance and i think we're in that puncher's chance discussion where get us into the playoffs and i could I'll probably be willing to talk myself into anything happening at that point. So, like I said, as Celtics fans, that's all we wanted. We we knew kind of when this team was formed that it was in there somewhere. I think even at the 
in some of our worst losses, we'd come on here and say, you know, as brutal as this is, like that 15-minute stretch in the first half, they look like the best team in the league. So it's just nice to see it kind of coming together in a much, much, much more consistent way that we've seen in a long time. Um, and, you know, we can at least take solace in that. And like you said, I, I feel now that we don't have to worry about them breaking our hearts and letting us down with, you know, the way they had been. And yeah, even if we go into a playoff series and lose, I just put our best foot forward, keep growing, keep building. Um, and, you know, I think it, there was kind of a, a year and a half where it felt like we were almost going backwards or stuck in the mud. And I think now it feels like we're moving in the right direction again. And, you know, we're starting to get, get more excited about this young, young team that we're building. That Detroit loss hurt. <laughs> I'm not, I'm it, not did. Gonna lie. it did hurt, but I think I really it, it, wanted to win that game. I think it, uh, you know, it probably is a good, good reminder of just how important Marcus Smart and Rob Williams are to this team. Um, and how, like I said, it's that we've kind of built out, a strong seven, eight man rotation that we haven't had in years. And you take out two core pieces of that, even, you know, they're not the main guys, but they're really important guys. And against any NBA team, Detroit obviously isn't one of the better teams in the league, but Hey, give props to Detroit. They showed up, they played great. Kate Cunningham showed why he was number one pick and will probably be a star in this league sooner than later. Um, Sadiq Bay refuses to miss shots when he plays the Celtics. <laughs> Jeremy Grant made just an outrageous, uh, fall away game winner over Tatum like it happens I guess but it wasn't so much that I saw you know it wasn't like they just showed up and didn't do what they had to do I thought that give props to Detroit they just came out and won that game like I wasn't it wasn't the letdown where the Celtics just no showed and lost by 20 to the Pistons it was um I, I didn't think they broke a lot of their habits I thought they were missing key guys they didn't have their a game but they they were still in a position to win that game sucks that we lost but I, I um, didn't think they were going to win the last 30 games of the season. So hopefully, hopefully what it does is it, you know, it's a little wake up call to the, to the team. Yeah. It's like, Hey, you can't, it's, you can't just sleepwalk your way through, right. you know, past the, you know, the bottom feeders of the league, even, For sure. you know, even the worst teams in the league, they have mm-hmm. professional basketball players on their team. That the Celtics should know that as them. well as anyone for the right. last few years. Yeah. And if you give, even if you give bad teams, you know, if you make mm-hmm. them think that they have a chance, then they have a chance. They do. Yeah. So you gotta gotta keep playing the way we did, you know, for the the previous nine games or whatever. Definitely. And like you said, yeah, good reminder and hopefully, uh, you know, a good uh, good piece of motivation going into that long break. They're not can't just rest on their loyals their laurels. They've got the uh, hopefully that bad taste in their mouth, and hopefully they'll come out tonight motivated to start a new winning streak and kind of get back on back on the track they were on before that game. Hopefully that's just a little blip on the radar last night before a week's vacation is you know i'll be honest i've i've worked a friday i have february vacation this week and last friday i didn't put in the best effort at my job so (laughs) can't blame it it's extremely relatable i guess is uh what i'm trying to say here yes not gonna hold it against them too much um any other thoughts really on on this second half preview anything else you want to touch on um no i mean Obviously, there's an encouraging way other than Detroit to finish mm-hmm. out the first half. Um, and, you know, this is the first time in a while where I've had some, you know, something to look – Yeah, happy, <laughs> happy thoughts. Something to look forward to. Uh, and felt like Celtics yeah. are actually trending in the right direction. So They're fun, they're fun to watch again, which more yeah, than anything, definitely. as someone who watches them no matter what, it was like – 
there were nights where I was like, am I really going to spend my Friday night watching them, you know, get trounced by another team? Like, here we go again. And it's just yeah. nice that they're a fun team and that I'm excited to watch again. And Especially it's if you like, like a burden. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. Last thing I was going to bring up during this break, of course, it was the all-star break. Of course, Jason Tatum was there. Any thoughts at all on All-Star Weekend? Either uh, Grant Williams was also there, obviously, as vice president of the Players Union. That was it. There were a lot of Celtics from being honored from the uh, 75th anniversary team, top 75 players. So there were a lot of uh, any thoughts, I guess, on All-Star Weekend in general. You can go Celtics or just general thoughts, anything you got. I don't know. It was... It, it was it was a disaster overall i mean i really well, I'd say watch. saturday night was a disaster the dunk contest specifically was yeah, a disaster that was, that was um, i mean when i went when i like took a step back and looked at the whole thing like i thought friday night was good like i'm you know that's never a huge event the rising stars but i thought that was kind of kind of a cool twist i didn't dislike that that actually kept me pretty interested um the skills was whatever the three-point contest was fun the dunk contest was absolutely brutal I mean, that's the um, thing, though. It's like for, you know, my whole childhood, the dunk contest yeah. was like the like, highlight yeah. of the weekend. Like, right. they didn't even care about the all-star game. I mean, maybe mm. it was a little bit more competitive, but it was the dunk contest. And we had, you know, the best athletes and dunkers in the NBA were in the dunk contest. And you just see these people that they're rolling out. It's like, where, what happened? It's not, if anything... <laughs> NBA players are getting more athletic. Yeah. So I don't understand how the dunk contest is going backwards. It's just because, you know, everything's been done already and, you know, they're making I mean, some of these like. It's, it's tough. I think it's a combo of things. I mean, I think that's part of it is we've gotten spoiled by all these amazing dunks we've seen. And it's hard to set the, like, you know, I go back and watch dunk contests that people wax poetic about from the nineties. And it's like, they're just doing like very basic stuff that right. would never fly in a dunk contest today. Guys, you know, guys does a cartwheel and goes up and does like a regular two-handed right. slam. It's like, okay. The fact, you know, I mean, some of the dunks that were pulled off, if you skip all the misses, were still like very impressive dunks. I think that's yeah. part of the problem is it's just hard to get like, it's hard to move me. It takes a lot. I mean, but I look, what was it? It was only five years ago where we had Levine against Aaron Gordon, one of the best dunk contests I've ever seen. So yeah. I think it's still possible those guys, I mean, they're kind of bigger names now, but I wouldn't say they were stars at the time. So I think the star power thing would help. And I mean, it's, it sucks because it seemed like it was like kind of a rite of passage for young guys. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, what we why couldn't we've had a John Morant, a- Anthony Edwards, Miles Bridges, like there's guys who could have made this event pop. We're not getting those guys. So I don't know if you need to offer a bigger prize. Um, it's just tough. No one wants to get embarrassed all over social media and no one wants to be judged like that. No one wants to risk injury. It's for whatever reason, it's a tough sell. I wish it wasn't we'll get but injured it like... in the, in the dunk. <laughs> well, Does it ever happen? I have no idea, but <laughs> it's one more thing. And it's like, I, I don't know. I get it. it. It seems like, unfortunately, there's not a lot of upside to doing that. It seems like there's for these star players, at least there's more downside, I guess, than upside. Um, I don't know. It's, it's unfortunate. I think for starters, like one easy thing, I know they've tweaked the format a zillion times. There has to be a punishment for missing dunks. You can't just have a guy miss 12 attempts and then make one like, I'm sorry. It just, it, it, it's unwatchable. By the and time it, they make it, it's like, you know, right. Oh, cool. You're over it. 
It's got to be, yeah, I don't know. I don't have like a perfect fix for the dunk contest, but that seems like the obvious place to start. You miss, you get like two attempts Mm. or you get a zero. You know, you you can't just go up there for two minutes and miss 10 dunks. But at the same time, it's it's like, you know, I want some, they need to change something, but Mm -hmm. I feel like for a while, for a couple of years, it was like getting way too gimmicky. And I hate, I hate the gimmicks even more than, (laughs) you know, the crappy dunks, I'd say. You know, right. like when Blake Griffin was jumping over Ikea, that was awful. <laughs> yeah, it was, but so it was I, a I lot better see, than what we got this like, year. I don't want to see things like that. <laughs> yeah, but I, I mean, mean, I guess I'd Gerald take Green that blowing over. out the candle. I liked it. No, that was Dwight a- Howard bringing out the bigger hoop in the cape. I liked it. So yeah. I gimmicks. I, yeah, I get what you're saying. I don't want it to be nonstop gimmicks, but it's like. I don't know. I don't know what I want. I guess that's the problem. It's not that easy of a fix. And I hope that maybe this was just like a low point. I think it's kind of cyclical and hopefully we'll get, you know, it only takes one or two guys who decide I'm going to make this, I'm going to go own the dunk contest and maybe we're excited again, you know? Right. So it's hard to incentivize when, you know, mm-hmm. money's not really that much of an incentive anymore for some of these stars. So right. I don't know. I don't know what you do, but. It's Luckily, those, we're not the guys that make the decision. There should be people out there that, in theory, are smarter than us. Uh, I know how to do it, but... I hope so. We'll um, any thoughts on Tatum? Re- uh, All-Star game? No, I don't know. I mean, he did, you know, what he expected to do. I, mean, <laughs> I don't yeah. know. I, I don't really take much out of any of the All-Star games. No, I don't either. I, I mean, I gotta say, I love the Elam ending, and the fourth quarter again was like really fun and exciting. Yeah. I thought it, it was a good all-star game. Um, and that really, it does bring out the best at the end, but it's interesting to see like who actually cares. And it I was, I don't know. I was torn. Cause on the one hand, it's like, it's cool to see Tatum out there where it's like, okay, these are like the 10 best guys going at it. But at the same time, that wasn't the case. And there's a clear group of guys like it, Luca Jokic, it seems like the international guys for the most part, and then like Jimmy Butler, who just don't care. They right. get a little cardio. They don't go inside either three-point line. You know, get a three, get a dunk, and call it a night. And right. that's where Tatum seemed to settle in, and I'm good with that. He's playing heavy yeah. minutes. He's doing it all on the court. That's fine. Enjoy your moment. Don't have to prove anything to anyone in the All-Star game, so that was great. Um, you know, you see these takes by like Nick Wright being like, Jokic isn't even out there at the end of the All-Star game. It's like, I'm pretty <laughs> sure... <laughs> I'm not even going to get into it, but (laughs) I took nothing away from it other than I'm glad that he feels comfortable with his status as he should, that he, you know, he has nothing to go out and prove in an all-star game. Go get your, you know, your ovation, make a couple baskets, get, get a little light cardio and call it a night was perfectly fine. Um, Especially as I'm still scarred from Nick nurse, you know, basically ruining Kemba Walker's career right. uh, a few years ago in the All-Star game. So very happy to see Tatum in full-on cruise control and not even being a part of the game when things got competitive. Yeah, so whatever. I mean, yeah, that's I'm, I'm over it. I haven't, I, haven't, <laughs> I haven't really thought about it too much since then, to be honest. So yeah. I, I don't plan on thinking about it much in the future. It's probably for the best. Yeah. All right. Well, that wraps it up for this episode of Chuddy's Corner. Thanks for joining us as always, Chuddy Heads. We appreciate it. We'll get things kicked off again second half of the season tonight. Keep an eye out for both of us on Twitter. Watch the blog on nickfrano.com in that top right. You can click blog, go to Chuddy's Corner. You'll see all of the blog posts as well as all of the podcasts you can watch there. Again, Apple, 
Spotify. You can find the pod anywhere. Keep it up. Um, hopefully we'll be back again next week. Going to try to get on more of a weekly schedule, especially as this things tighten up down the stretch here. And we're just purely talking about the games. Hopefully no, uh, no sideshows, no off-court stuff, no trades. None of that. Pure basketball. Big stretch coming up. Uh, we're excited. Celtics fans, chuddy heads, you should be excited too. Thanks again for joining us. Peace out. Should have never sent them to pick up the work for. Spray the park and have my shit inside the car. Marcus Smart Boy was shooting with a 36 on him. Said if he wasn't in a rush, they was all goners. Tech cursive on the jets, he was gonna show and charm. They were sleeping on the guards and it dawned on.